I vow with all beings to recall my original purpose. Please sit comfortably. Hakun Zenji in his Song of Zazen tells us that all beings by nature are Buddha. The great Prajna Paramita Heart Sutra tells us that we are not stained, not pure, without loss, without gain, and essentially empty. These chants and others, as do koans, tell us that our true nature, our life, is that of a Buddha. We might conclude from this that we should be peaceful and happy, but then dissatisfaction shows up, discontent comes forth, and we may begin to wonder about the truths of Buddhism. We find our faith is uncertain, hesitate in our practice, fall further into doubt and vacillation, and a path that once seemed straight and clear becomes more muddy and winding than we ever anticipated. This finding of our feet and our mind mired in mud is quite normal. Indeed, as well-known psychologist and spiritual teacher Ram Dasa said, it is because most of us are attracted to varied experiences, gratified by sense connections and seduced by pleasures that, despite our good intention to not stray from our spiritual path, we do, and therefore find what had been a vertical path turns horizontal. Das also advises that few of us are ready to see completely through ego's illusion and thereby achieve instant liberation. So we use methods. These methods help us to let go of our kicking and screaming quicksand-like mind and habits. In Buddhism they include the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. In Zen they include Zazen, bowing, chants and vows. Together these create conditions which may allow the grace of a Kensho or Enlightenment experience. But whether you have Kensho or not, the methods, their intentions and the life you lead of inspiration and dedication within them are the realm of freedom from conditions. This is also the realm where we are completely one with the whole universe. And so this realm has the form of both emptiness and your very life as it is. How does one find grace of this unity and diversity? Zen's response is to live a life of compassion. For example, when Sohaku Koburi, the Japanese translator of Living by Zen, asked D.T. Suzuki, what is your kensho? Suzuki replied, well, my kensho is Shujo Muhen Segando. Japanese expression means living beings are numberless, I vow to save them. If you haven't recognised them, they are lines from the great vows for all. That was his enlightenment. In this vein, Jakushu Kwong, a successor in the lineage of the other Suzuki, Shunrai Suzuki, says that his teacher regularly encouraged them to help other people as the direction of their practice. This was because he also wanted them to understand that the Bodhisattva path is the Zen way. Fundamentally, these masters of the Zen path were saying that this Bodhisattva vow is the purpose of Zazen and can be our enlightenment as well. Therefore, let us consider both this vow and the chant of purification in relation to Zazen 
and gaining some insight into our true nature. The chant and vow go thus. Purification. All the evil karma ever created by me since of old, on account of my beginningless greed, hatred and ignorance, born of my conduct, speech and thought, I now confess openly and fully. Great vows for all. The many beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Greed, hatred and ignorance rise endlessly. I vow to abandon them. Dharma gates are countless. I vow to wake to them. The Buddha's way is unsurpassed. I vow to embody it fully. The chant of purification is the prologue to our chanting. In most Diamond Sangha Zen halls it is recited at evening services and certainly at the morning services during Seshin. Its place is the prologue to all that we set forth in our vows, sutras and dedication needs to be recognised. Basically on the path to enlightenment purification is a core part of the preparation stage. Although technically in this moment each of us is already enlightened, most of us as already noted step over this into our explaining, planning and strategising mind. To slow this ebb and flow down enough to conceive it as something we can let go of, as opposed to something we are continually being swept along by, it is useful to perceive it as forming, growing and changing in stages. Therefore most religions talk about the stages in one's spiritual journey. If we consider awakening the goal of Zen practice, then the sequence would look something like alignment, commitment, concordance and imminence or embodiment. Alignment to commitment to co concordance is a process of continuation and deepening of purification until it becomes embodied compassion. Indeed, as Soen Roshi said at the end of his session to those there, including Peter Matheson, Session is nothing else but purification. In Zen Session services, purification is bookended by our chant of great vows for all. This chant comprises of the four vows of the Bodhisattva and is recited in most Mahayana centres at the close of ceremonies. On the path to enlightenment, great vows is our vow to practice. Together, each of the four vows shows us the key elements to our way. The opening vow of great vows is, the many beings are numberless, I vow to save them. The three vows which then follow are the ways to go about this. To vow to save all beings means to be one with all beings. This isn't saving through the arrogance of individual power, rather it is the attitude of seeing our imperfections and limitations yet continuing to work at something infinite. The second vow, greed, hatred and ignorance rise endlessly, I vow to abandon them, takes up continued purification as the way to fulfil what is described in the next two vows, to awaken to the countless dharma gates and to embody fully the Buddha's way. The, first, uh, sorry, the second vow can at first be quite a shock as it bundles our imperfections together to seem like a never-ending and forever looming wave that might drown us. But then, just as we acknowledge them and are about to get caught in their momentum, we chant that we repent and abandon them. 
Sohaku Okamara, author of Living by Vow, says this is awakening to our this awakening to our imperfection is repentance, and that vow and repentance are two kinds of energy that enable us to continue our practice. The opening of great vows, which is a vow to save numberless for beings, is at face value an impossible task. Yet in doing so, it tests our understanding of dharma and practice and raises promising questions. How do you express this saving? Sit with that and keep chanting. That is part of polishing your wisdom and compassion. In the chapter titled Inherent Completion, in his Taking the Path of Zen, Robert Aikian writes, Nobody fulfills these great vows for all, but we vow to fulfil them as best we can. They are our path. Taking this path and fulfilling this vow is the consequent purpose of the purification process. Endless polishing. Ram Das describes it as the journey of integrating meditation into our experiences, a path along which our long latent impurities must be skimmed off. Buddhas speak of these impurities as ignorance, but the terms used by other religions in regard to this felt dichotomy can also yield some perspective on the condition. Taoism regards it as disequilibrium. Hinduism, Vendata, take the perspective of illusion. Judo-Christians regard it as the state of our fall. Islam describes it from the viewpoint of rebellion. Whatever you term it, all religious practices say that our separation needs to be recognised and the resulting suffering transmuted through actions of purification. Again, most, if not all, religions are partly built on the premise that if you really commit yourself to a course of purification and consequent practice or action, it brings something new into being. What it brings into being is mercy, grace, love, union. These are evidence of your practice of purification and your realisation of the great vows. But this birthing takes cultivation and practice. For example, Bhikkhu Bodhi in his short essay Purification of the Mind writes, an ancient maxim found in the Dharmapada sums up the practice of the Buddhist teaching in three simple guidelines to training. To abstain from evil, to cultivate good, and to purify one's mind. These three principles form a graded sequence of steps progressing from the outward and preparatory to the inward and essential. Each step leads naturally into the one that follows it and the culmination of the three is purification of mind makes it plain that the heart of Buddhist practice is to be found here. He then goes on to say, In the Buddhist teaching, the criterion of genuine enlightenment lies precisely in purity of mind. The purpose of all insight and enlightened understanding is to liberate the mind from the defilements. And Nibbana itself, the goal of the teaching, is defined quite clearly as freedom from greed, hatred and delusion. Hence these three are listed in both chants, where one first confesses them and then where one vows to continue to abandon them. Historically, 2,000 years ago and more, the Buddha made it quite clear that ethics are inseparable from what we do and say and think 
And so this very life is the opportunity to observe, review and modify our mind and mental states. Hence, this very life is precious. For Zen, this realm of the sentient human being is precious because it is here that Buddha mind, nothing more than ordinary mind purged of its attachment to small self, manifests itself for the many beings. What is the small self? As it grows, the small ego decides it wants to be the centre of the universe. We set goals and plans to become successful. Implicit in this becoming are the notions of reward and punishment. If we see our lives as something we control, we may begin to see our success as what our talents and hard work merit. If we develop a sense of privilege, we might conceptualise our plans and desires as something we have the right to possess. If we are of a religious nature, we might partly conceptualise our successes and drawbacks as serving something that is meant to be, which is operating through the consequences of either merit or sin or karma, operational on a scale too big for our ordinary comprehension. That is, in small mode, we cling to ideas of success and reassure ourselves, perhaps up to our last breath, that possibilities of gain are still there. From all this grows heaven and hell, and all the conditional realms in between. Das, in his book Journey of Awakening, warns us that sooner or later we must break such old habit patterns and see that true meditative practice purifies and alters our mind, heart and body so that these things lose their power over us. Hence in Zen, our great vow to save the many beings, we are also saving ourselves from such states and realms. It is indeed great vows for all. So, chanting the many beings and numberless I vow to save them brings to awareness the model of integrity which, in its quiet commitment to serving the world through abandoning, awakening and embodying, releases or reorientates all the evil karma ever created by me since of old on account of my beginningless greed, hatred and ignorance. The two chants work together. They show the process of confessing and returning to or remaining in deep human relationship with the wandering energy and creation of life. Thus the matters of character raised by the chant of purification around our seemingly beginningless greed, hatred and ignorance which perhaps made us unsure of how to proceed beyond the confessing of it openly and fully, is presented with a vow which indicates we can train or discipline ourselves through, into embodiment and practice via Zazen. This is often a gradual embodiment. Our karmic flaws brought into interactions with others often grates. The discipline of Zazen vows, vows, the teachers, teishos and doksan toss us about. We get polished and transformed and perhaps take joy in the redemptive capacity and wisdom in our way. Meanwhile, our Buddha mind or true nature, like the moon, remains whole and serene whilst the initial optimism of the small self's chase for empowerment and difference may again start to seem fleeting and unreliable. We may then ask, how am I living my life? If we don't turn away from the question towards narcissism or paranoia, a niggling sorrow may provide a crack where seeing that the small self can only ever be the centre of its own greed, 
we start to investigate our conditional nature with greater focus and care. Thereby, we develop a practice during which we may get polished so much that we show some of the colours of compassion, tolerance, forgiveness and humility and start to see difference as oneness and oneness as difference. The challenge is to keep seeing into this while still making a living and paying the bills, whilst getting dressed in ill-fitting clothes or caught in the morning rush hour, while still walking the dog and worrying about climate change. Sazen and chanting assist you to stay steady amongst all this. If we stay on such a journey from small self to Buddha nature, we start to see that everything is conditional and most live lives caught in their passions and imaginings than anything else. In realising this, we may shudder at the hatred and ignorance or suffering that believing otherwise has produced. We begin to wonder about what is wholesome and unwholesome, what is beneficial or harmful. We may also begin to find in our own and others' lives a current of underlying sorrow and suffering enough to disarm us. Eventually this grief and sorrow begets compassion for what we impose and project on each other and the many beings. Wisdom has taken seed, release and healing has begun. The Buddhist path is again quite explicit that the work of purification must be undertaken in the same place where the defilements arise, in the mind itself. Hence the main method the Dharma offers for purifying the mind is Zazen. Indeed, the Buddhist path has its inherent completion and fundamental full presentation in our Zazen and each return to our breath. This path of purification through Zazen is also the path of our great vows for all. Hence we realise that the essential world of perfection is this very world of gain and loss, birth and death, cause and effect. Aiken Roshi states, When Dogen Zenji said, Sazan itself is enlightenment, he was speaking from this fundamental standpoint. Purification and the great vows are of course not the only chants that Zen students take to heart. A core chant for Zen students, the classical condensation of the 600-volume Prajna Paramita literature, translated into Chinese by Huishun Tang in the 7th century, and which can be called the basic Mahayana text and summary of essential Zen understanding, is the Makahanya Haramita Shingo, or the Great Prajna Paramita Hats Sutra, cited at the start of this talk. This chant points to the point of our practising, its insights are also the transformation that occurs through purification and the qualities that allow the Bodhisattva's great vows for all to be proclaimed. Robert Aiken, in his Miniatures of a Zen Master, writes that the fundamental message of the Heart Sutra and the Vimalkirti Sutra is shunyata, the essential emptiness of everything, and states that unless you think and conduct yourself from this position, you are not yet squared away. However, when we take up Zen practice, not many of us are yet squared away. Indeed, when we start out, we are mostly, as Aikin also suggests in taking the path of Zen, preoccupied with personal problems, the attitudes of others towards ourselves, 
and by personal ambition for religious experience and leadership. But as our training continues, our motivation may deepen and we can put aside such personal concerns and exert ourselves with our sisters and brothers. In such deepening we find that purification is also the art of dying to old habits of mind. Thereby, meditation itself is a purification which undoes the small ego and the juicy content of its positionalities. To put aside our personal concerns, we must let go of our ego's obsessions and resentments, its justifications and compensations, its associations and superstitions, its proclamations and games. But found here, beyond ego substitutes and clinging, is the reality of unconditional love. Nonetheless, the journey of purification towards the unconditional is looked upon by the ego as the territory of loss and defeat. Be warned. Yes, the spiritual journey is a place of sacrifice and surrender, but only of narcissism or ego's surreptitious and stubborn feeding of itself and its delusions. Yet drop clinging in the ego's addictions and survival are found to be largely based on the secret pleasures of negativity. Buddhism labels these suffering or karma. Once recognised and identified as such, one's karma can be owned without shame or guilt, its operation in daily life recognised and released. It is conditional and empty and not really personal at all. But even though the ego and its karma are not me, it nevertheless belongs to me. The chant of purification helps us confess and understand this. Thereby the ongoing practice of purification progresses into the certainty and necessity of great vows for all. Here we turn from the ego's positionalities towards compassion or love. Thus, when we chant Dharma gates are countless, what we are recognising is that the choice of love is available in every instant. The key is our willingness to see it, as stated in I vow to wake to them. The final vow, Buddha's way is unsurpassed, I vow to embody it fully, is both an invitation and a recognition that the spiritual awareness of our true nature is what illuminates the way of love's imminence. When finally chosen, the reward and practice of letting go of our small ego is the awareness and use of the love contained in our great vows for all. But to arrive there, we must cultivate a mind that steps beyond ego to the whole. Steve Hagen tells us that Cultivating such a mind is sometimes called the practice of egolessness. This doesn't happen automatically, indeed we might resist it, but regular zazen and directed effort can take us in its direction. How do we know we are cultivating such a mind? Finding out is a matter of discipline and refinement, of making mistakes and continuing on because you know that with experience you'll become better and better. This is also applying Yamada Cohen Roshi's dictum, the purpose of Zen is the perfection of character. Ultimately, within this perfecting, there is nothing to fear, though the undoing of past ideas, beliefs and delusions can seem challenging 
In this regard, purification is putting down all our expectations and all our desire for things to be a certain way and to just return to our breath and everyday experiences as each comes forth. Hence, as the traditional Diamond Sanger Seshin caution state, we may find that while sitting on the mat, we laugh or weep. But do not be concerned, you are going deeper. Indeed, during this perfecting, we may find that though, as Ross Bolita Roshi in his test show Envy in the Way says, we touch some deep underlying sorrow, through such sitting we also encourage a release. We can weep for a while, then breathe a little deeper. In time we get less self-preoccupied and the moon rises and reflects in the great dark lake of our ancient sorrows. The passions roll through like the seasons, great moods of the soul. In this regard it can be said that chanting is one of the methods that helps stabilise the essential practice of sitting. They help our understanding and support the quest for deep knowledge and essential values which are part of the spiritual journey. The words of chants and vows thus often support and deepen or at least help us make sense of what occurs in meditation. What is particularly pertinent about the two chants under discussion is that they emphasise that some of our awareness should be on how the old, beginningless, numberless, endless and countless nature of our karma and embodied actions are blessed. These words may initially make the consequences of our life seem overwhelming and our intentions and nature seemingly unknowable and mysterious. But don't be lured away from the simplicity and profundity of these words. What happens when we confess this beyond knowing openly and fully is that we break open. We completely empty. Whatever we previously created, however far back and entangling, is purified, set free, eradicated. We then wake to the greatest sangha of this very life and embody fully our responsibility. The overall purpose of doing chants such as purification and great vows for all is thus that they provide both a motivation and process of change. Then all of this, as a regular practice, is setting the conditions for Sazen to do its true work and take you home. It is where our intentions become the life we lead within and embodied and where the realm of freedom from conditions becomes established. This is finding the true response from this very body to what arises and becomes the world. This it is part of the matter of being truly serious about practice and it is the answer to Robert Aiken's questions in this paragraph for Miniatures of a Zen Master where Roshi writes, quote, In his Song of Zazen, Hakun Zenji wrote, This very place is the lotus land, this very body the Buddha. We recite this passage without a second thought, yet there is nothing more radical and presumptions in the myriad expressions of the Dharma. How can I say that the social morass around me is heaven itself? How can I say that this very shithead is enlightened? Aitken admirably signposted how we can say this in his book The Dragon Never Sleeps, verses for Zen Buddhist practice, where he vows that, quote, Whenever my vows seem meaningless, I vow with all beings 
to recall my original purpose, boot up and get with it again. Unquote. Aiken is suggesting that our chants and vows are akin to the Buddhist sacraments. That is, they help us to grasp the point of our Buddha nature directly. Indeed, with the confession of purification we acknowledge our sin or karma and find the forgiveness and the capacity to serve and honour every part of our life through our great vows. So, take up the responsibility of saving the many beings, including yourself. Take up the responsibility of being Buddha. That is what is going on when moment after moment we find ourselves fully embedded in this very life. And that is, moment by moment, also our liberation.